Well, good morning, church. Man, let me just tell you, it has been a good day so far. Are you guys excited to be at church today? Yeah. Man, I love it. I love it. Well, have you ever noticed that with some positions with certain levels of popularity or prestige with higher rank on the org chart come a whole lot of benefits and privileges. Like the higher you climb on the org chart, the more popularity you get. It seems like more stuff is given to you, right? There's increased pay. There's all the perks and the privileges, special reserved parking spots, private bathrooms, bigger offices. And it seems like with some people, once they have those positions, they just feel like other people are there to serve them, right? You ever see this with some people? And so when I see politicians or famous people of any sort out serving somewhere, is it just me or does anybody else with me get a little skeptical, get a little cynical? Am I the only one who gets a little skeptical when you see those people serving and you're like, is that just a photo op? Are they just doing that? But then when you learn of one of those people who actually serves that way regularly, when they give their time and their money and they're all the time helping other people out, even when the cameras and the paparazzi aren't around, isn't that refreshing? Like, doesn't that just kind of warm your heart? Like, oh, there is goodness in the world still. Well, Jesus says that's the way it should be for all of us, for all of us. Jesus made these claims such as the last will be first and the least will be greatest. And according to Jesus, the pinnacle of success is servanthood. Like once you're a servant, you are the most successful you can be. But Jesus didn't just speak these truths over our lives. He demonstrated this truth in his own life. And so we're going to take a look at just one little snapshot picture of one of the times Jesus demonstrated that for us. It's found in John chapter 13. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. All right, so this is found in the last week of Jesus' earthly life before his crucifixion. And he knows what's about to happen to him. He knows he's about to be sold out by one of his friends and betrayed. And then he's going to be arrested. And then he's going to be put through this kind of mock trial. And then he's going to be beaten and tortured and whipped and spit upon and mocked. They're going to say nasty things to him. They're going to nail him on a cross. You're going to shove a crown of thorns on his forehead. And then after all that torture is done, they're going to lay his cold, lifeless body in a cold, dark grave. So Jesus knows that this is what's ahead of him. So the night before the crucifixion, the night before all this stuff takes place, he gathers his buddies for one last connection time, one last meal. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Now, the devil has prompted Judas, but Judas has not yet left the room. And Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that Jesus had come from God and would return to God. In just a few days, Jesus would put all that authority on display when he rose victoriously from the grave with a resurrected life and power and authority over sin and death and Satan and hell and all of that. But at this moment, he just rises from the table. Jesus got up from the table, he took off his robe, he wrapped a towel around his waist, and he poured water into a basin. And then he began to wash the disciples' feet, 
drying them with the towel he had around him. Now, this is a servant moment. This is a slave moment. It, this was a role reserved not for leaders, not even for the owner of a house, but for servants and slaves. If you showed up at somebody's house and they had somebody washing your feet, that was a lowly role. The homeowner didn't do that. Not even the children of the homeowner did that. They hired somebody else to do that. And here is Jesus, the leader of his crew, taking on that slave-servant role. And keep in mind, there's no paparazzi around to capture this moment. The, no other onlookers. It's not like the rest of Jesus' followers are there looking in through the window. It's not like Jesus is trying to win his enemies over to his side in this moment. It's just Jesus and his best buddies for a final meal in the upper rim of a home. And so when Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Like, what are you doing? You're, you're the Lord. You're the leader. You're not the servant. What are you doing here? And Jesus replied, you don't understand what I'm doing, but someday it's all going to make sense, buddy. <laughs> and Pete, as Pete often would, protested. He's like, no, you're never, ever going to wash my feet, Jesus. And Jesus tells him, Pete, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. So in that moment, Peter says, then wash my hands, my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. And Jesus replied, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. Now, it was customary in those days that when you were going to someone's home for a meal like this, or if you were going to somewhere special, going to the temple, something like that, you would stop and clean at one of the public baths. Now, when we hear public baths, let me just clarify. It's not like a bunch of people get naked together in a bath, right? That's not what You would simply take off some of your outer garments, especially some of you younger, like, man, I'm glad for that, right? Like, you would just simply take out some of your outer garments, and you would take a towel or a sponge, whatever, and you would wash your face, you'd wash your head, your hands, your arms, maybe clean the pits a little bit because they're stinky. You'd wash your feet, but then everybody wore sandals. So wherever you're going, those streets are dirty and dusty. By the time you got to where you were going, you were still clean, but your feet needed cleaned again. That's what Jesus is talking about. You just got to kind of freshen up once more. Well, Jesus tells the disciples, he says, you're clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. And that is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. So keep in mind, Jesus is here taking the role of a servant. He's washing their feet. Some of you have like, like the foot thing. It's like, no, no way, man. If I were in the upper room, you're like, Jesus, you ain't touching my feet. Like, nope. Like, I, yeah, so I could see on some of your faces. like, Oh my goodness, this story is just disgusting. That Jesus is doing that. He's washing their feet. He's drying their feet with a towel around his waist. He's serving them. And he goes from disciple to disciple to disciple. And he knows that Judas is in the room. He knows that Judas is going to betray him. Judas has already made the deal to sell Jesus out for 30 coins. The exact price of what you would purchase a slave for in that culture. So here's Jesus taking on the role of a slave, about to be sold out by one of his best buds for the price of a slave. And Jesus comes to Judas' feet, and he washes even his feet. Jesus knows the torture that's ahead of him, like right around the corner. And he knows that all this torture is coming because Judas is going to sell him out. And he stoops low and even washes his feet. What a moment, what a picture. 
Well, after washing their feet, Jesus put on his robe again. He sat down and he asked, do you understand what I was doing? You guys call me teacher, you call me Lord, and you're right because that's what I am. And so, since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. If you think that you don't have to wash feet because... You're somehow greater than me. You're missing the point, Jesus says. And now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. When I was a little boy, one of my favorite cartoons was G.I. Joe. Anybody else G.I. Joe fan? Yeah, the rest of you are just like too prideful to admit it. You know you watch it. So G.I. Joe, one of my favorite cartoons as a little boy. And it wasn't until several years ago when my kids were little that I introduced them to G.I. Joe, showed them some of the episodes. It wasn't until then that I realized how terrible it was and how hokey. I mean, it is just miserable. It's like 80s cartoons at their worst. I mean, it's bad. But one of the things I loved in G.I. Joe was at the end of almost every episode, there was a public service announcement. And these PSAs were great. I mean, they taught young boys like me not to play with downed power lines or not to mess in the parents' medicine cabinet, not to set the kitchen on fire because you're messing around with a stove and not to play on thin ice. I mean, they, they were really helpful for us. But at the end of all of those PSAs, there was this tagline. And now you know... And say it with me, and knowing is half the battle. See, you got it. I know the number of you who said that with a smile on your face, you're like closet G.I. Joe fans. All right. So knowing is half the battle. Apparently the other half of the battle is comprised of like equal parts red and blue lasers. I don't know. Like that's that's the battle with G.I. Joe for you. There's my childhood summed up. That's lame. Now, that thing, now you know, knowing is half the battle, that was not original to G.I. Joe. Like, if anybody, it was more original to Jesus, because that's what Jesus says. It's, all right, you know these things now, but the blessing comes when you do them. Well, like, knowing it is important, but the knowledge itself doesn't get you anywhere. you got to put that knowledge in action. you got to do something with it. That knowledge has to move you somewhere. And Jesus goes on in that upper room discourse, in that conversation with his buddies in the upper room. He goes on to tell his disciples to love one another. He says, a new command I'm giving you, love one another. Do as I have done, be as I am, serve one another, love one another. In fact, he says, the mark of my true followers is this, love. And it's one thing to know that. It's one thing to know that we should be loving, but it's a whole different picture to let that shape our lives. And according to Jesus, he says, you know, we should love one another, but according to what happened in the upper room, it's impossible to love one another without also serving one another. That's why I was so proud as a pastor yesterday of our church. It it was just a beautiful day here for Fall Fest, and the beauty was not in the weather, though that was nice. The beauty was in watching so many people serve others. I mean, that's awesome thing. We, we've run into some people already today who are here today because of who they encountered yesterday. I, I loved our, our prayer uh, area where people were being prayed for all morning long at the event. It was great. And hearing some of the stories that came with that, people who... It was their first experience with our church, and they just felt love. They felt at home. They're like, man, I'm 
I'll be there tomorrow. It's it's a beautiful thing. That's what serving does. Serving puts love in action. It demonstrates love. It, It puts love on display. It's impossible to love someone without serving that person. But the crazy thing of what Jesus demonstrates for us is that he doesn't give us any exceptions. He, he doesn't make exclusions to the love and the service. In fact, he, he says, even those people who have wounded you, who've hurt you, who've betrayed you, who stabbed you in the back, who abandoned you and walked out on you, those people who sold you out, love them, serve even them, maybe even especially them. Ooh, man, that's tough. So friend, let me encourage you. Are there someone who's wronged you, who's hurt you, who's walked out on you? Is there someone who you're not right with? Get right with them today. Go to them and wash their feet. Maybe not literally, (laughs) maybe, but serve them. Be intentional and be a servant and serve them. Demonstrate your love for them, or at least demonstrate the kind of love Jesus would like you to have for them. Maybe, maybe you don't have any. Maybe you're like, man, there ain't no love there at all. <laughs> I don't have love for them. But you know, Jesus does. So love them in Jesus' name, even if you can't love them from your own. And then just see what God does with that, not only in their life, but in your heart. Now, it's not just those people we serve. It's everyone that we serve. It's everyone we demonstrate love to. That's the picture Jesus gave us. But also keep in mind that this serving thing comes from the overflow of what Jesus has already done in us. It doesn't replace that. It doesn't get us to that. It's not like, man, if I serve enough people, if I love enough people in Jesus' name, then I'm good with God. Like, that's not at all how it works. See, the disciples, before they went out to wash anybody else's feet, they first had to be washed by Jesus. What Jesus demonstrated with the towel and the basin in that upper room was a foreshadowing of what he would demonstrate with his body and his blood on a cross, not even a day later. When writing to the church at Corinth, the apostle Paul said it this way. He said, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. That was that verse Mark quoted during communion for us. Now, you may have heard Jesus took your sins upon his shoulders, that he took your sin to the cross, but This amps that up. This takes that one step further. Not only did Jesus take our sin to the cross, Jesus took our sin not only onto him, but into him. It says he became sin for us. Why? So that in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus became sin. Jesus became your sin so that you could become the righteousness of God. Friend, What that means is that Jesus became your sexual sin. He became your adultery. He became your lust. He became your greed. Jesus became your anger, your dishonesty, your pride, your selfishness, your envy, your hatred, your laziness, your idolatry. Jesus became that for you. And what do we become? We become the righteousness of God having the very character of Jesus birthed in us, given to us, having the salvation of Jesus overflowing into us. 
Righteousness is a big churchy word. Simply means to be made right with God. Because what sin does is it breaks the relationship between us and God. It puts us on the wrong with God. Like we become relational enemies of God because of our sin. And what Jesus did is he bridges that gap between us and God. He wipes away that sin, guilt, sin, stain, and instead gives us his righteousness, making us right again with God, putting us in a right relationship with God. What a beautiful gift that is. That's what Jesus has done. That's what it means to be washed clean by Jesus. It means to have all the stain and the guilt of your sin washed away by the blood of Jesus. It's the great exchange where the the creator king of all of humanity stoops low to become the most humble servant, the sacrifice of all of us to take our sin on him so that we might have his righteousness You've probably heard John 3.16. It's probably the most famous Bible verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish in the darkness of hell but would be given brand new life eternal in the paradise of heaven. Well, this beautiful thing, this beautiful gift God offers us. And I love the word anyone, that anyone who believes That means that that invitation is open to everyone, that God offers it to everyone. Some people say, well, Christianity is so exclusive. No, it's like the most inclusive thing. It's offered to every single person. You. No exclusions. This is offered to you. But just like any gift, just like if you have a birthday party, people give you gifts. Just like in a couple months, we'll celebrate Christmas. And, you know, there'll be gifts under the tree. And there might be your name on a gift. It's one thing to know that the gift is there. It's another thing to unwrap it and take it for your own. You've got to grab hold of the gift. Jesus says the gift is yours, but you've got to unwrap it. He tells Peter, Pete, unless I wash you. You don't belong to me. You have no part of me. At the end of the great story of Scripture, in the book of Revelation, at the end of the book, we see this picture of marriage, of Jesus and the church in this great wedding, where we are united with Jesus in the paradise of heaven forevermore. And just like any great wedding, there's a great celebration. And just like any great celebration, there's a great feast, a banquet, a dinner. And we're told that even now Jesus is setting the table for that dinner. He's, he's got the place settings out. He's got the table reserved. He's got name plates and your place reserved at the table. You know, just like Granny at Thanksgiving, she writes the names of all the grandkids and the kids on there. There's Mikey and Maddie and Millie and Minnie and, and right? And there's like all the names go around and it's like, oh, you got your place at the table. Jesus has written your name on a place at the table and it's reserved there for you. It's great. And listen, I don't know, any, any foodies in the room? Any foodies? I, I do not have a refined palate. I just like food. But I really like really good food. <laughs> now, I've been fortunate to be blessed by a couple times at Jeff Ruby's gifts of, of other people. And man, I tell you, that is some good food. But compared to the Paradise Feast, that's like eating out of a garbage can. That's eating the leftover scraps from the dog compared to what Jesus has waiting for us. But here's the deal. You don't get to dine with Jesus with dirty feet. There's this thing on my wife's side of the family. 
I'm probably going to get in trouble for this. It's mostly with the boys, grandsons, nieces, nephews, my boy, the stink foot. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands who has stink foot, but I can look on the faces of those sitting next to you to know who it is, right? We don't often wash feet in our culture these days. We wear shoes. We don't need to wash it. So we show up, and maybe you take off your shoes when you show up to somebody's home for dinner. If they've gotten dirty, muddy, dusty, whatever, you know, maybe it's wet outside. you got wet grass. You take those off. Problem is, some people still like, woo, you know, you take off the shoes. It's even worse, right? So we were visiting family not long ago. All the boys, teenage boys, they were outside playing games barefoot. They come in. It's time for dinner. And I look, and their feet are just nasty, dirty. I mean, like nasty and so we brought back the ancient custom of foot washing <laughs> but we just told them go wash those because you are not sitting at the table with stank foot right because nobody is going to enjoy the meal with stank foot around the problem is we all have stank foot like that's sin right we, we all have the stink of sin on us and we can't scrub that off on our own we we can't clean it off on our own there's only one cure for the stink of sin in our lives, and that's the blood of Jesus to wash us clean. And you can't dine with Jesus with dirty feet. So what does it look like to be washed by Jesus? How does that happen? Well, the picture the Bible gives of this is baptism. Romans chapter six says it really beautifully. Have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live brand new forever lives with him. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised up just as he was. See, baptism represents the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. The word baptism comes from the Greek word baptizo. Baptizo simply means to plunge under, to immerse, to drown, to dunk. And that's why we practice baptism the way we do, by a full body immersion. And we think it's a really beautiful picture of the symbolism of the death, the burial, and then a resurrection to brand new life. It's also why we don't baptize young children or babies here. We, we dedicate them. We honor the parents who say, I desire and pray that my child will one day walk with Jesus in close relationship. We, we celebrate that all day long. But it's our understanding as we see the picture in scripture that baptism is a decision made from someone who understands. Who understands their need to be rescued by Jesus, that we can't clean ourselves, that we can't just serve our way or love our way or do our good thing way out of the stink of sin. We need Jesus to take care of that for us. And we need Jesus then to be the authority in our lives to lead us to be the king of our our hearts. And so because of that, here in a bit, when we celebrate some baptisms today, Uh, We will only baptize today children 13 and older because we want to make sure that we have conversations with those who are younger than that. If you're younger than 13, we would just ask that you meet with somebody from our family ministry staff. We want to meet with you. We want to talk with your parents. We want to make sure that you understand and that you grasp the deep spiritual truth involved in that. 
And if you do, then yeah, man, we'll move forward with baptism soon enough. See, there's this picture that we see over and over and over and over and over again in the Bible. And it's the picture that somebody puts their hope in Jesus, they surrender to Jesus, and they're immediately baptized into Jesus. Every single time in the New Testament, somebody puts their trust in Jesus to save them, they're baptized into him. They believe, they trust, they're baptized. It's this beautiful picture. But some of you, you've been waiting. You... You want to, like you want to go all in with Jesus, but you don't think you know enough yet. You, you don't know enough about Jesus. You, you still got questions about the Bible. You, you, you got questions about Christianity, and you're like, man, I just, I, I need my questions answered. And my wife and I got married when we were 23 years old. At 23, I didn't know a lot about most things in life. I thought I did. I thought I knew way more than I actually knew. And I didn't know everything about marriage. I didn't know everything about myself. I didn't know everything about my wife. And, and it wasn't like when I said I do that, boom, suddenly I became a perfect husband. Now, if you ask Jan, that took about three years for me to reach perfection. And I wish. It's been 23 years of marriage. I am still chasing that perfection real hard. But I'm a way better husband now than I was then. I wish that it just, boom, all came together. It didn't. I wish I could tell you, man, I had all my questions answered. I wish I could tell you I knew everything, but I, I didn't. I still, I don't know, maybe the longer I trek in marriage, the less I understand about my wife in some ways. Uh, there's this beautiful mystery to it. But here's what I knew then. Here's what I still know now. I knew that I loved Jen, and I knew that Jen loved me, and I knew I was ready in that moment to commit the rest of my days to being faithful with her. That's what I knew. That's kind of how it is with Jesus. You're never going to have all your questions answered. You will never get to that point. If you're waiting to get it all answered, you will wait forever and you'll miss out. Because you just won't. Like, it just won't happen. You may end up with more questions in some areas. See, there's this element of faith where we just, we begin right there. And that's the beautiful thing about baptism. It's a beautiful thing about Jesus. It's we, we have a starting point. Like baptism's not the finality of it. It's the beginning of it. It's where we say, man, I still got questions. But here's what I know. I know that Jesus rescues me. And I know I need rescuing. I, I know I can't get the stink of sin off myself. And so, Jesus, I need you to do that. And, Jesus, I know that I've led myself into some pretty dark, rotten places. So I need you to lead me way better than I would lead me. I, I need to surrender to your authority. And, listen, if you're ready to, to trust Jesus to rescue you and to surrender to his authority in your life, then that's all you need to know to begin the journey with Jesus, to be baptized. Some of you, though, you're, you're waiting because you're like, yeah, most of the questions are answered, but I got to fix this thing. I, I got this issue that I got to take care of. I, I got to get this problem right. I got I to clean up the mess in my life first. And doesn't that sound backwards, right? Like I got to clean it up. I gotta, and here's the deal. If that's what you're waiting for, you will wait forever. Like it's never going to happen. You'll never be baptized because if you were going to fix yourself, you would have already done it. If you had the ability to make it all right, you'd already be all right. This is why you need Jesus to rescue you. And we all do. Like, welcome to the party. Welcome to the club, man. Like, we all need Jesus to rescue us. There's not one of us that doesn't. 
And so we surrender to him. And the beautiful thing is Jesus wants to rescue us. He wants to wash us clean. Jesus wants to wash you clean from all that shame you feel over those mistakes and the brokenness of your past. Jesus wants to wash you from the guilt of your past. Maybe you feel like you've gotten the dirt of the world on you, like you're just covered in the ick from all the brokenness around you. And maybe you've just been spending your time in the wrong places with the wrong things, and you just feel dirty. And Jesus just desperately desires to wash all that away and to wash you clean. That's what he wants to do for you. He he wants to wash you clean of your anger, to wash you clean of your lust, to wash you clean from that pain, from that hurt you feel, from that thing that person did to you. This should never have happened to anyone. He wants to wash you free from that fear that's just been holding you hostage. He, He wants to wash you clean from your need to keep up the pristine image of pretending like everything is great in your marriage and everything's great with your family and it's great with your kids and it's great with your job and it's just great with your hobbies and all your social media, your Insta and your Facebook and on and on. Man, it just paints the picture that you are the envy of all the other people because it's all so great. But on the inside, you are just broken and hurting and dying and desperate for somebody to know, to just someone you could be real with and Jesus wants to wash you from trying to just keep that image and let you know that you belong here that all of us are broken people and it's okay to not be okay because Jesus loves you just as you are right where you are but he loves you way too much to let you stay as you are And I wish I could tell you that, man, once you surrender to Jesus and you go on in with him, once you're baptized, you come out of that water, you're clean, and you like never deal with that stuff again. He washes you free from the guilt. He just doesn't wash you clean from the ability to sin again. This is the picture we have is that we, we get washed clean by Jesus, but we're still human. And so that's what Jesus means when he says, once you're washed, you don't need to be washed like that again, but you need to come back. You need to... Let them wash the feet. That's called repentance. It's called confession, where daily we acknowledge, Jesus, I'm grateful for your forgiveness. Grateful that you've washed me clean. I need it still. But there's the beginning point where he washes us clean. Friend, remember when you were a kid and you'd go out and you'd play and you'd get dirty. Anybody else like a really dirty kid? Like, and like, am I? I'm the only one who got really dirty playing as a kid. Oh, I got, I got a few other dirt bags with me today. Awesome, I love it. And so, you go outside, I get real dirty. It's my kids were the same way. Like, I, I, I no, no, even my girls. Right, I get two older girls and then the young one is a boy. And I think the boy learned it from his sisters. Like, they were just like we go outside even and just play and get dirty, and they come in and then you draw the water right like my. Mama would fill up the bathtub and it's warm, clean water. And you put the bubble bath in there. It's great. And then you get in the wash as a kid, you know, or as a parent, you watch your kids get in and somehow water goes ever. I don't know how clean water can make a room so dirty, right? Like the bathroom just gets destroyed by bath time. But you play in there, right? but then you get out, right? You remember what happens. You get out of that water. You're standing there, you're drying off and you look over and like you are clean, but that water it's gross, it's disgusting, it's filthy, it's dirty. Like all that stuff is just washed off you and it's stayed in the water. And that's the picture we have in baptism. Is that all that dirt and filth and guilt and stain of sin is washed clean and left behind and buried there. 
left in the past. That's what Jesus' blood does for us on the cross, is it washes us clean from all the stain of sin. And you know, the picture in the New Testament paints of this is that it's more than just symbolic. It's more than just this obedience thing, that there's something powerful and supernatural and miraculous and beautiful that happens when we surrender to Jesus. There's something that happens in that water where all of heaven just collides with us. And then there's brand new life. Like eternal life for you doesn't begin on the other side of the grave. It begins on the other side of the watery grave of baptism. It begins when you put your hope, your trust, your faith in Jesus and you go all in with him. Like we're already living a brand new eternal life. When the apostle Paul first encountered Jesus, he was actually an opponent of Jesus. He was out attacking the church. He was throwing Christians in jail. He was having them rounded up. He was having some of them tortured, some of them murdered, killed. And then Paul encounters Jesus in this like miraculous, beautiful way. And he realizes, I've been doing this all wrong. Like, this is who I need. And so he surrenders himself to Jesus. And, and at that moment he knows, like, Jesus, I need you to rescue me and I need you to lead me. And when this happens, Paul is hanging with this guy named Ananias. Ananias was a Jesus follower. And Ananias looks at Paul and he says, why wait? Says, Paul, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Call on the name of the Lord Jesus and have your sins washed away. And the same challenge that Ananias gives to Paul that day is a challenge God gives to you today, that if you have never before surrendered your life to Jesus, this is God's word for you. What are you waiting for? You wait until you get it all figured out. You wait to have all your questions answered. You waiting to clean yourself up enough. What, what are you waiting for? I mean, that's what Jesus does for us. What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and let Jesus wash you clean. Now, friend, if you have already made that decision and you walk with Jesus, then I encourage you. In just a moment, we're gonna watch a video. And when that video plays, we're gonna see just a handful of the baptisms that have happened this last year. And when that happens, I want you to remember that that's why we serve other people. That's why we love other people so that they might fall in love with Jesus and walk with him for eternity. But if you have not yet surrendered to Jesus, what are you waiting for? It's time to stop waiting. It's time to get up and it's time to be baptized, to put your hope, your trust in Jesus and let him wash you clean. And listen, we've got everything you need for that. We've got clean, warm, filtered water over there. We have volunteers who will help you at every step of the way. We have clothes for you to change into. You don't even need to worry like, well, I don't have any. We've got it for you. No wardrobe malfunctions. We even have a shirt for you to take home to remember this by. And when other people say, hey, what's that shirt about? You get to tell them your story. Man, I went all in with Jesus and he's changed my life. I'm still in process, but I'm living new life with him. And if there's someone who has made a difference in your life, they've been a difference maker, maybe they helped you get to this point, maybe they introduced you to church or they introduced you to Jesus or they shared their story with you or they've been talking to you about Jesus. Then in a few moments when we stand and sing and it's your time to come forward, I want you to look at that person if they're with you and you say, the wait is over, it's time, let's go. You gotta get in that water with me. You gotta do the Duncan.
And maybe today you're sitting next to the person who you've been praying for for a long time. You brought your one and they're next to you. And in that moment, you look at them and you say, I think you're done waiting. Let's go. Let's seal the deal. The wait is over. Friends, so far this year, I gotta get the number right. We've had 132 people. We've seen 132 people surrender their lives to Jesus. Yeah. Before last service, before last service, that number was only 127, but we had at least five people surrender to Jesus. We may have had more than that. I, I lost, it's only five. I lost count. I was so excited. It doesn't take much for me to lose count when I'm really, really excited. And we have more people who've already said they're going all in with Jesus today. And right now I am surrounded by the names of those people who've gone all in with Jesus. So in a moment, we're gonna watch this video. And I just want that to be our prayer today. If you've already surrendered to Jesus, let that be your prayer. That you will serve someone else. Maybe to the point that their name will be written in the good book for eternity. But if you've not yet surrendered to Jesus, what are you waiting for? It's time to add your name to the list. It's time for you to get in that water. It's time for you to surrender. It's 127 and still counting. will be right over 